Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Progress and Joy, a study on Philippians. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. Here's where we've been. If you're new, you're visiting, we are in the book of Philippians. And here's what's happened. All right. It's about 62 A.D. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. He is chained 24 hours a day to a Roman guard. Right? One of the churches that he planted about 10 years earlier, a church that loves him, that cares for him, in Philippi, they have sent him a man named Epaphroditus, bringing financial help and bringing supplies because they care for him. Right? And so he writes them a letter back saying, thank you all. Thank you all for, for providing for me, for caring for me, for, for meeting my needs. And I just want you to know I'm doing okay. And I am more concerned about you than you are for me. I am concerned for your progress and your joy in the faith. Right? And that's, that's kind of where we've been so far. And today we get to the portion of the letter where he's actually going to start telling him how he's really doing. He's going to give him details. A little bit. Kind of. And here's what I want you to do. Okay? Imagine... You are 62 A.D. You are in the church in Philippi. You, for the first time, you've been praying for months for the Apostle Paul. You've been waiting for news. There's no email. There's no phone calls. You just want news. How is this guy we love? We sent this gift. We sent Epaphroditus. We haven't heard anything. It's been months. I want you to get your mind around that. Because we read Scripture, we just think it's just kind of like God just like, oh. And he dropped the Bible down and then they picked it up. This is a real letter written to real people who really lived. And yes, it's scripture. And yes, it's true. And yes, it's holy. But it's, it's a real letter. And so put yourself in the shoes of that church in Philippi. They probably hear, y'all, Epaphroditus is back. Did you hear? He's got a letter from Paul. We're reading it this Sunday. Come on. And you can imagine the room is crammed and everyone's in the corner. And there's Lydia like, look what they're doing in my house. It's a mess. And, and, you, and you got the, 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 fam, the lady that was a slave, and she was demon-possessed, and she's got her kids, and they're running around. And everyone's like, will you please sit down? I'm trying to listen to him. And you got all these just stuff. It's real. And you can imagine what they're thinking. I just want to know how he is. How's he doing? So try to hear it with fresh ears. Don't just read it like, oh. It's a letter. Inspired, true, but it's a letter. And so I want to um, read the entirety of our text and then we'll come back. But try to hear it like they would hear it. Okay? Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from a good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. And yes, I will 
rejoice. I mean, can you, pick, can you put yourself there as they're listening? And, and they hear the greeting and they're, you know, how he's thankful for their partnership and their, his confidence in them and his affection for them and his prayer. We looked at that last week. I can tell you they weren't expecting this next portion. All right, this is not what they were expecting uh, to hear. I'm rejoicing. I mean, if this was modern times and we had cell phones and Paul sent a little selfie with him, with the letter, he would be like this. He'd be like holding his chains up with a smile like. <laughs> That's the image. You think, what are you smiling about? How are you even smiling? How are you rejoicing? That, CBC, is what we're going to talk about today. How, indeed. Because here's the truth. You, at some point soon, maybe not today, maybe not next week, but eventually you're going to end up just like the Apostle Paul. Not necessarily in jail, but in life, your circumstances, stuff is going to happen, and it's going to be like chains. You're going to be overlooked. Stuff's not going to be fair, right? You're going to be slandered. Life is going to stink. The glass will be half empty. And the, and the point is this, if there's going to be progress and joy, how can that be? How can we be like this? Like him. That's what we're going to look at as we unpack this letter together, okay? So let's, let's move forward. Just a couple things we're going to highlight. Let's jump right in, verse 12 again, as we go a little slower. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, all right? Okay, he says, basically, I know you're concerned. I know you're worried. I appreciate it. But this has actually been good. This has been a good thing. The gospel has advanced. It's the same exact word we translate later, progress. What we're, talk, we're talking about, our progress. Same word. It, it's, it's moving forward. It's good. Now, how many of you, if you were writing from prison, this would be the, the content of your letter, this would be the tone. My tone would be different. Right? I'd be like, y'all, somebody brought me meatloaf last week. I'm not a meatloaf guy. And they had broccoli. I am definitely not a broccoli guy. And, and you know what? It's hard. I mean, how many of us, we go through a little bit of hardship. We make sure everyone knows it. Right? I, I mean, I got on the plane, and we sat on the tarmac for like 30 minutes, and I was in the middle and all I got was a little bag of peanuts. And it was the same movie I've seen like five times. And we were on a missions trip. And I was suffering for Jesus right there, y'all. On the plane. It was turbulence. Right? We tell everybody when a little thing's happened, what is missing from this letter, which is amazing, is details. Paul doesn't even tell anything about how he was, how it was, was it like in prison? Is it hard? How was he captured? He doesn't even go there. That's what I want to know. That's what these people want to know. What he wants them to know is the gospel is advancing. The chains are moving. They're going forward. And when we talk about the gospel, I know we use that word a lot. And if you're new to church, you're like, what's the gospel? It's not a form of music. Well, it is, but not a good form of music. Okay? It's, when we talk about the gospel... It is simply this. It's the good news, the message that, that Jesus left heaven, became a man, died on a cross for your sins as your substitute, and he rose again so that you would have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the good news. 
And Paul says that is moving forward, which makes absolutely no sense earthly because he's the number one guy. And if you take the number one guy out of the game, if you take the captain off the team, what happens? You think we're going to lose. Our best guy is in jail. Our number one guy is in jail. What's going to happen? Right. This week, we were having, um, the staff was having just this great theological discussion that we have these all the time. And this one specifically was, which is the best sports movie ever? <laughs> so this is, this is what your pastors do. Uh, you know. and, and so one of the movies that came up, which was not the number one, despite what William Cain may say, but it, it was Remember the Titans. It's a top ten. Yeah, okay. Remember, that it's, it's definitely not in the top three, but it's a top ten, right? <clears throat> and there's this great scene where, if you're, not, if you're unfamiliar with the movie, the captain of the team, Gary Bertier, linebacker, brings the team together. I mean, he is the captain. Everyone follows him. He, going into the championship game, he's been paralyzed. He's in the hospital. He's out. And Coach Boone gets up to the mic. He says, you cannot replace Gary cannot replace him. You're going to lose, that means, right? I mean, that's the heart of it. Your captain's gone, you lose. Paul says, I'm out of the game. No, 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 gospel's advancing. How is that even possible? Here's why. Here's the key. Here's what he says later in 2 Timothy after he's arrested again. He says, I am in chains, but the word of God is not bound. You know why? Because you cannot bind supernatural power of God. You just can't do it. And the gospel, as Paul says in Romans 1, is the power of God for salvation. It's not Paul is the power of God. It is the gospel. So you can throw Paul in chains, but guess what? You cannot enslave the power of God. It moves forward. And here's why that's important. Because if you want to come into this room and say, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go win people to Jesus. I'm going to go tell them. I'm going to convince them. I'm going to argue them. No, you're not. If you think you're going to have any sort of impact just because you're going to go do it, you are gravely mistaken. The power is not in you. The power is in God the Holy Spirit using God's word to change lives. You have, you, the only thing you do is you, you proclaim that. The power is in him, which is greatly encouraging to me because if, if it's up to me, we're in trouble. Right? So the power is not, it's not chained because, because it's God's power. And so he gives, he gives examples of how the gospel is moving forward. Look at verse 13. I love this verse. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He says, I love this verse for multiple reasons. Number one, this is Star Wars language. The imperial guard, come on. Paul is a Star Wars fan. Don't you love that? But he says, literally the Greek word is the praetorian. The praetorian was the special forces of the Roman soldiers. There's 10,000 of them. In those days, how did emperors basically lose their kingdom? They were assassinated. Et tu, Brute, right? So what do you do? You have the best of the best, the elite soldiers, the hardened guys who are battle-ready. Battle they were your personal bodyguards. That is these guys, the praetorian. And every four hours... A new one shows up to be chained to Paul. They were in four-hour shifts. So every four hours, new guy comes in, new guy, old guy goes away. And every time they switched, they came in contact with a prisoner unlike any other they had ever encountered. They'd walk into the room. You just picture it. 
And there's this bow-legged, big-nosed guy with a grin on his face. He doesn't look too threatening. The guy's got to be like, he doesn't look like Rambo. Not much of a threat. And sit down next to him. And you can just imagine, this is Apostle Paul. How you doing? I'm Paul. Right? How you, what's your name? And you can imagine he took interest in the guy. And Hey, you married? Oh, what are your kids' names? Oh, that's great. You know, what do you think about this? And Oh, man, where have you been in the world? And he, he would have been interested in them. And he probably would have said something like, hey, how can I pray for your family? Right? And, and then all these visitors would come in and bring food and meatloaf and broccoli and stuff that he didn't like. But they would come in and, and they, he'd be like, why, this guy's got more friends than I do. And all of a sudden this group would bust out in a song and they pray and they probably think, these are just weird people. They're happy. Right? He, he laughs a ton. He cares about me. He's not trying to get away. And you know for certain that at some point the Apostle Paul, with a captive audience for four hours, he shared about the one from why he was in prison. He says, his, it, everyone knows in the whole Imperial Guard why he is there. He is there for Christ. And so at some point he would look over and say, hey, you know why I'm in here? Right? I'll tell you why. Because there was this Jewish carpenter. His name was Jesus. He, he died for me. And I, and I believe in that. And I believe that he and not Caesar is God. I believe that he is the one that his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, including Caesar, by the way, that he is Lord. You know how I know? Because he died and he came back to life. How you like that? At two brute, he don't come back. Caesar don't come back. Jesus came back. And eventually, over time, we don't know specifics, but somebody, let's call him Bob, Bob the Centurion, comes to faith. Right? And then Bob goes off and he tells his buddy, and his buddy Jimbo, he gets saved too. And eventually, after however much time, multiple people in the Praetorian are coming to faith. So that when you flip to the end of the book, in chapter 4, verse 22, when he closes out the letter, he's saying his goodbyes, he's saying his sincerelys. At the end, he says this, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's house. And all the people drinking coffee in the back of the room were like, <laughs> what did he just say? Did he just say there's saints in Caesar's house? Are you telling me right now Caesar's sleeping and one of his guards is actually a, a follower of Jesus? That there's people in administration and running the Roman government in the Senate, in his house? The very one who declares himself to be God, that in his house is a true worshiper of God and it would have blown them away. Why is that even true? Because Paul is in chains. Because if he's not in chains, it takes years and years for the gospel to infiltrate that deep into the Roman Empire. But because he's in chains, people hear and believe. Right? And here's the first idea for us today. Here's why Paul's rejoicing, and this is why we, in the midst of, of good and bad, and I mean good, I mean even big bad and small bad. Big bad, stage four cancer. Little bad, Duren, Right? Whatever in between. How is it that, that we can rejoice? Here's why. Because adverse situations are always an opportunity 
to point people to Christ. Always. They are always an opportunity to point people to Christ. Because there's something about adversity, right, that just gets us more in tune spiritually. So when you're broke, you're trusting God more. And when you're sick or have some big decision, you're praying more. And when the kids are rebelling or they're going through a tough time, you're entrusting them to him more. Or when some comfort or some prestige or something is removed, you have more of an eternal perspective. Whatever it is, that's often the case. And people are always watching. And here's the hard principle. Okay, it's, it's hard when you're in it. It's hard to talk about. But sometimes God allows adverse situations in your life and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with someone who doesn't know him who is watching. Right? The guy in the cubicle next to you. Your kids in the back of the minivan. Your, your, your parents. The guy on your football team. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God trying to reach them through your circumstances. So who's Paul in jail for? Bob the centurion. That's who. And some guy that's some random servant in, in, in Caesar's house. That's who. And, and so as hard as this is for us to think, you got to start considering asking yourself, What is going on in my life that God would use to point someone else to himself? Whether through my lips, I'm talking about him. Whether through the way I handle this. Whether it's through just being Christ-like. Whatever it is. Who might see Christ in you because of this? And, And in asking that question, some of us probably have to go back when we didn't handle something well. And say to that person, I didn't do this well. In fact... I didn't do this like a Christ follower, and I'm sorry. Right? You might, that might be application number one for some of us. Right? Who might see? And, and don't, under, don't misunderstand. Paul is not excited about his chains. He's not like, I love rats. They're so cute and cuddly and flea infested. I love fleas. And he said, and that pile of whatever that smells in the corner, I love that. It smells good. He's not rejoicing, per se, in, in, in being in prison. He is rejoicing that God is doing something through it. And, and it's worth it if Bob the centurion spends an eternity in heaven because of his chains, then that pile of whatever that really stinks is worth it for that guy's eternal security. That's what we're saying. That's hard. But are you willing to ask how might people see Christ in me here, right? So first thing, he rejoices because people are coming to faith because he's pointing people because Christ is being exalted. But something else, look at verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Not only do lost people hear about Christ, but the church is built. The church, number two, is strengthened through, through circumstances. Sometimes God lets things happen so that the church will be strengthened. They're more bold now to share Christ. They're more bold to stand up. Why? Because of Paul. That's why. And how many times do we see this? Just takes one person, because courage is, is contagious. Just takes one person to do something and everyone else follows, right? Last summer, I went with my oldest son. We went out to this ranch out in, in California. And one of the days they go out to this waterfall. It's called Shackerford Falls. It's beautiful. And, and, and all, the, all the kids like to go up to the top of this bad boy, like 20 feet up, and jump off into the water, right? Now, 
That's fine. Great. I am not a fan of heights, which is 5'6". That's why. All right. And I don't like cold water. And I don't like gashing my head on the rocks. I don't like that either. That's not one of my favorite things. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to kind of hold back and I'll let, the, I'll let the guys, you know, just jump off and do their thing. And, you know, they got to jump out over. And I'm like, yeah, I'll let them do that. I'll just watch. Until there's a little 13-year-old girl, weighed about 16 pounds. <laughs> she kind of scurries up the top. And I look up and I see 13-year-old girl. I'm thinking, great. Now I have to do it. Because I'm not going to let the 17-pound girl be more courageous than me. So then I got to go up and I got to jump. And I didn't gash my head up on the rocks or anything, obviously. But what's the point? It took the courage of one person to get me to do something I didn't want to do. Right? It strengthens me. Maybe God is allowing adverse things in your life. Your singleness. Your barrenness. Your depression your anxiety, your joblessness. Because someone else in the church is going through that and you have no clue and they are watching how you handle it and they're like, well, if he's doing it, I can do it too. And it strengthens the church. That's his point, right? That's his point. Because you don't know who's watching. How many, how many times have I seen it? Your community groups, you know, they, they're surfacy, they're shallow, and it takes one dude in the corner who finally breaks out and says, this is where I am, this is where I'm struggling, and everyone's for a minute is in shock, and then it just, the, the floodgates open because one guy had the courage to share where he really was. And it just, right? One, one person talks about how they invited their, their neighbor to church, and you've been thinking that that might be something that you ought to do, but you hear that he did it and they came and you're like, well, if he did, I, I surely can, can say, hey, why don't you come with me one Sunday, right? Here's a big one for us as a church. Baptism, right? We're get, we have baptism coming up in a few weeks. Many of you know that God is calling you to come forward in baptism, but you're like, well, I've been here for like three years. I've been, I've been in the church for 20 years and I've never been baptized and... But what we have seen often is this. It just takes one person, and it's typically an older person who's a 63-year-old dude. It's like, you know what? I've never been baptized. I've never, I've never in obedience. This is not a salvation issue, but it is an obedience issue. And the 63-year-old gets up front and gets baptized. And, and it doesn't, every time, the next baptism, we got a bunch of people, and they're like, I saw him do it, and I knew it was time for me. Maybe you're the one person. The one that's going to bring change in this person's life. Maybe you've you got the same conflict in your marriage that they have. And you're not going to slander your wife. And you're not, going to, you're not going to slam your husband in front of your kids and do all that. And because you're not doing it, they have been doing it, they're going to experience change. Right? Maybe at work that you hate your job or you, you, got, you got passed over for promotion and everyone knows you deserve it. But there's not going to be the typical backstabbing and the typical junk that everyone else does. And someone else got passed over too and they were doing that. And they're going to change because they see you. Right? Maybe someone else's kid's on the bench. Or you're the one on the bench. Or maybe someone, you know, ran into your car and didn't leave a note. And now you got a big old dent in the side of your car. You, the way you handle that, that person over there, they got the same thing happen to them too. And the way they, they, they are able to handle it well because of you. It's the church being the church. Maybe you're the one that's got stage four cancer. 
or you got suffer huge depression, or you got chronic back, or, or you get whatever it is, but yet you show up after an 80-hour week as a single mom and four kids, and you're broke as a joke, but you come in here, and you pour your heart out and worship Jesus, and this guy next to you who's got it pretty much all together, he sees, he sees you in the middle of that, struggling, but yet worshiping, and his, he, he can say, you know what, gracious day, if she can worship, certainly I can. See, maybe God is allowing something that has nothing to do ultimately with you, but it has everything to do with the church and building his church and making his church strong. You ask that? It's hard to ask that. But this is why, this is why we have napkins, right? I mean, we have napkins to clean up after ourselves, really. But this is why, as a church, we use napkins. So see, next week, maybe some of you need to have a nap. Maybe some of you men need to grab a napkin. It's this, it looks like this. You don't usually use it. I usually wipe your face like that. But I mean, it's a napkin. And, and take it out. And, and the, the purpose of this last week was not just to have a napkin in our Bible. It was so that you get to focus off of you and you get it on God and what he's doing. That was the point of the napkin. So maybe you ought to get your napkin out this week, and if there's stuff going on, start writing down, God, what are you doing? Who might need to see this? Start writing some names. It gets your focus off of you and gets it on him. And so he rejoices because the gospel is moving forward and because the church is being built and there's boldness, even though captain is out of the game. And then there's one more thing. In verses 15 to 17, he highlights two different guys, two different groups of people. One good, one bad. And, and look, let's just, just read what he says. He said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Two groups of guys. One good, one bad. One's preaching Christ for the right reason. One's preaching Christ for the wrong reason. My question as I read the text, and if I'm sitting in, in Lydia's house crammed in the corner is, wait, 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 who are they? And why are they doing this? I mean, what's going on? Why kick a man when he's down? Because here, here's the problem. These people, whoever they are, are believers. They're not false teachers. Paul has no problem getting into girl false teachers. He's going to in chapter 3. He's going to say, watch out for the dogs. And he's not talking about Georgia. All right? He's going to say, watch out for them. So these are, he says, they preach Christ. These are believers. Right? Why? Why, oh, why would they kick him in when he's down? Why, in verse 17, they're trying to afflict him? And there's, obviously, it says there's selfishness, there's envy. Involved, maybe they're jealous because everything's about Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul. It's always Paul. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Paul, 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 right? And now he's in jail and they're probably glad. Well, good, he's out of the way. Now my church can grow. My deal can grow. Maybe there's territorialism going on. Maybe they, they're just sick of hearing about poor Paul, poor Paul. Well, poor me. Whatever the reason, it's not that they're anti-Jesus. They're anti-Paul, right? I want to know why. Because I love, you know, we love that little morsel, right? And, and the beauty of Paul is he doesn't name them. I'd have named him. John at First Baptist is a jerk. It's in scripture. It's there for all eternity now. There's John in heaven, the jerk, right? But he, even in his grace, doesn't name them. He's just gracious. 
right? And it's no doubt that he knows who they are. But what is his response? Verse 18. What then? Literally, it's so what? Who cares? Right? Only that in every way. Here's our verse. Only in every way, whether in pretense, whether it's a bad motive, or whether it's truth, whether it's love, Christ is proclaimed. In that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He says, I don't even care why. I don't care about their their minor theological differences. I'm going to pray for that church. I'm going to pray for that ministry. I don't care. As long as Jesus is lifted up, I am happy. Right? No, No selfish ambition. No envy. No threats. No territorialism. Just rejoicing. I often think... What if, what if John Piper was going to plant a church in Savannah, Georgia? Would I be like, yay, John Piper's coming. What are you going to do, guys? Everyone's going to leave our church. <laughs> would, I, would I have that heart? Would I be like, yes, more people will hear about Christ. That's the heart of Paul. It's the heart of John the Baptist. Right? People are like, John the Baptist, everyone's leaving. No one's getting baptized anymore. They're following this Jesus guy. He must increase. I must decrease. That's Paul. I don't care. And here's the final thing. Okay, here's the final thing about adverse, adversity in our lives. It, it strengthens the church. It, it points people to Christ. It also does strengthen you. Sometimes it's not about you. It's about someone else. Sometimes it's about you. And what it does, what adversity does, it is revealing. It shows what's in here. Right? It shows what's in your heart. It reveals. And, and we, all, we often quote Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. But we always, we always leave it there and we don't go to verse 29. Here's what verse 29 says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. These these. All things that work together, what's the point? So that you will be more conformed into the image of Jesus. And the reality is this. Hardship has a way of making you more like Jesus than easy times. Now, if I'm in charge of my sanctification, I'm thinking, God, if you want me to grow, then have me win the Powerball. Because that would really make me grow. That's how I want you to sanctify me and conform me. That's how I would do it, right? And, and that's why sometimes God brings adversity for you. Because it, when you're squeezed like the Apostle Paul, what comes out? For him, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What then? In pretense truth, Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. What comes out when you're squeezed? Right? That, that's the question. When you're asking, what, what am I trying to learn? When your reputation is bruised, when your comfort is removed, when your motives are, are misunderstood... Your feelings are hurt. When there's chains, your circumstances feel like chains. When you're hurt, when you're sick, when you're broke, what, is it, what does it show about your aspirations in your heart? Right? That, these things are meant to deepen. It's meant to be revealing so that you're like, oh, my hope is in this boyfriend who just broke up with me and now I can't eat and now I can't sleep because I'm so depressed. Where's my hope? My hope was in this promotion that I didn't get, and now I can't get this car and this house because all, and I'm depressed. It, it reveals, and it reveals so that you can turn from that and repent. What does your conflict reveal? Like we all got it. 
And in our conflict, you know what the tendency always is? The tendency always is, yeah, well, I know where I am, and I'm good, but that person's wrong. And my spouse, they don't know what they're talking about, and they're just this, that, and the other. You know what? You need to leave them out of it, and you need to ask, what is God teaching you that, about you being a jerk? Because you're a jerk, too. You may think they're a jerk. No, you're the jerk. And God's trying to show you, you're selfish. You're prideful. You're arrogant. And you are so arrogant that you still don't see it because you're still worried about how arrogant they are. And that's the point of adversity. To deepen you, to see what's inside. What am I really looking for? Right? What am I really hoping in? And so Paul, what he... What he has nothing, he says, I rejoice. From chapter 1 of Colossians, he says, I rejoice that I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's sufferings. Right? My identity is there. And so get your napkin and ask God, what are you trying to teach me about me? How are you trying to deepen me? How are you trying to conform me into the image of Christ? I'm telling you, these are not easy questions for any of us to answer, ask. But if there's going to be progress and joy, because you're going to find yourself here eventually. If you're married, eventually one of you will probably be a widow. If you, are, if you have a mom and dad, unless Jesus comes back, you're going to lose them. You're going you're to switch jobs. You're going to get sick. You're going to lose a friend. Your, your kid is going to get hurt in some way that you can't control and rescue. What are you going to do? How, how, how are we going to respond? That, that's the point. And so adversity, it builds the church. It points people to Christ. It deepens you. And here's, here's the beauty of this all. is for Paul and for us, the example and the model is the Savior. And, and don't think that Jesus walked around thinking, oh, it's going to be great when I get to go to the cross. It's going to be so fun. Read the narratives. Read the way he is he's so intensely asking his Father to take this cup from me that he's sweating drops of blood. Have you ever sweat drops of blood before? Never have. It's so intense. Right? He, he's, he's not saying, I can't wait to be spit on. That's going to be fun to be mocked and to be stripped naked in front of all those who I've created. Man, that's going to be great. And when they take that, that whip and, and whip me and take chunks of skin out of my back, woo, it's going to be fun. No, he says, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Take it. I don't feel like being tortured. I don't feel like suffocating to death and being mocked by those who I created and I love. Take this cup from me, but it's but not my will. Yours be done. Yours. Right? If this is going to save them, Father, if, if I have to go through this kind of hell to save them from hell, so be it. I will let my creation beat me up and spit on me because I love them. I will do that for the joy set before me. But, but if, if possible, take this cup. 
And so what does he do? He becomes obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. We'll get there in a couple weeks. And thank God he did. Thank God he had the courage, like the Apostle Paul. Thank God we have a courageous Savior who, 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 for the joy set before him, even though he's despising the shame, he went to the cross for us. And so what we're going to do as a church is we're going to celebrate that this morning with the Lord's table. And this is an opportunity for you, as a Christian, to declare the Lord's death until he comes. That's what Paul says, what we're doing. You get to declare to everyone in this church, I am a follower of Jesus, I am unashamed of the gospel. And, and if you're a Christian, we invite you to partake this morning. But here, here's what we don't want you to do. I want you to spend a few moments just in contemplation, just in, in thinking, just in worshiping, just in, in thinking about what it is in your life that, that maybe God is doing, who's he want you to pray for, who's he pointing you towards. And then when you are, just after a few moments, come to the table and don't come depressed. Don't come sad and downtrodden. Come to the table rejoicing. Because you have a Savior who says, come boldly to my throne of grace. Why? Because I took your sin. I took your punishment. You don't have to come all in a horrible week. You can come knowing that you have a Savior who has forgiven you for all your sins, past, present, and future, if you put your faith in him. And so we're going to do it this first time in this building. Can we give you a couple instructions? And I messed the first service up, so I'm not going to mess this one up. we got four tables down here. I think they have one in the balcony. You're going to come down to the table. Four sections. Your section right there, that's your table. All right? This one's y'all's. This one's yours. That one's yours. I don't want to see y'all over there. All right? You don't go over there. And you come, and each table actually have two lines. So there's actually two, potential for two. So you can get in two lines for each table. Come down, get the elements, go back to your seat, and when you're ready, partake in your seat. And then we'll continue worship. We've got plenty of songs. We've got like four songs we're going to sing. Some time for you to reflect, and then some time for you to worship and stand and sing together, right? Don't come all, oh, come joyfully. If you've put your faith in Christ, come with confidence, not in yourself, but in him. Come ready for him to move and to, to, to you know what? I, I'm going out Monday morning to chains. I'm going out to this relationship which feels like I'm in prison, but know that you have been set free if you are in Christ. Those in in Christ are free indeed. Right? And you can rejoice like Paul. Let me pray for our time as we celebrate the table uh, and as we sing and then, and then we'll do it. Uh, praise team, you guys can come on up and lead us. Father, as your church comes now to your table, uh, some of us come excited, some of us come a little broken, some of us are in the mire and some of us are, are not. And, and so wherever we are as a body, just be revealing to us by your spirit how we can be worshipers how we can be rejoicing. Some of us have just come out of it. Some of us are about to go in it. We don't even know it. So wherever we're at in that spectrum, Father, I ask that you would help us to remember just those simple things that sometimes these things are not for us, they're for others to see uh, you. And sometimes it's for the church to be strengthened and other times it is for us to be deepened and reveal to us which one or multiple ones. But we ask that you would make us deeper, that there would be progress, that there would be joy, and that it would be in you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you we can celebrate this table together as your people. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.